0: 1st point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. you're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. In today's episode, I want to talk about the Blazers' disheartening season-opening blowout loss to the Utah Jazz. I want to go over the Blazers' defense. It's been the talk of preseason. It wasn't good in Game 1, so we should discuss it here. That's what we'll do in the first segment. In the second segment, I want to discuss some other news and notes from the first game. Uh, there's There are more pressing concerns, or at least there are other concerns. I don't know if they're more pressing, but certainly other concerns than just the Blazers' abysmal defense in the opening game. And then I want to close out the show talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's right. There is a, a, a rumor, a story linking Giannis, back-to-back league MVP, to the Blazers. And look, I I feel a certain type of way about it, but we'll get to that in the third segment. We can't Listen, it's too big of a headline to skip over as much as I'd like to ignore it. But let us start with the games that mattered. We've been waiting for actual NBA games to happen. The Blazers finally played one, and then they got routed by the Jazz. This was this was just ugly anyway you slice it. Blazers lost one twenty one hundred. Damian Lillard went scoreless in the first half, finished with nine points overall. Robert Covington finished with one point, did not make a field goal in his Blazers regular season debut. The Blazers we're out of this game basically by the end of the third quarter. They finally waved the white flag for real with five minutes left in the game. But this was just a beatdown. Every every way you slice it, Utah got what they wanted. They stifled Portland's offense and then carved them up on defense. This was uh, a A big and easy emphatic win for the Jazz and an an ugly one for the Blazers. Uh, They have 71 more. If you are familiar with this podcast, you know that I don't like to do recaps and previews of games. I don't think it's super valuable to go over quarter by quarter what happened in the game. If you are listening to this podcast... On Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or or the weekend that follows, you watch the game and love the Blazers. You know what happened. If you don't know what happened, there are other places to find recaps. I don't think this podcast is best served doing that. So I'm not going to do that. I want to talk about trends. I think the what we learn from games and what we can sort of extrapolate moving forward is a more interesting and more valuable take. That's what I want to bring to you. I have, uh, I, I'm mostly saying this for new listeners, old listeners will know this, but I just, uh, recaps are not my thing. Um, there are, I'm certain there are other podcasts out there that recap games, but that, to me, that's not value. And I want to bring value, want to add value to your viewing experience, help you learn about the game, understand this team better. So here's what I did. I watched every pick and roll and every dribble handoff that the Utah Jazz executed during the first game and I charted how the Blazers defended it. Why, you ask, would I subject myself to watching the same blowout twice? Well, one... I'm a basketball dork. I love this stuff. And two, dear listener, I wanted to I wanted to help us both understand what happened in that game. There's been so much made of how the Blazers are going to defend this year. They wanted to come into the season play, changing up their defense a little bit, eschewing drop coverage and bringing the big man up in pick and rolls and having them at the level of the screen, which would involve the weak side helpers and have kind of five guys all connected, having more than just two people cover a ball screen, have it be more of sort of an aggressive team style. However, they got absolutely shredded doing that during the preseason, and it sounded like the time between Friday's preseason game and Wednesday's opener that they were going to kind of get back in the lab and say, well, we can't totally overhaul this defense. We need to introduce some of its new concepts that we tried to install during a short preseason with our old concepts that Stotts has been playing for seven seasons. Uh, Mind you, he did not play drop coverage in year one, so miss me with that eight years of the same defense talk. It's just not true. Not like seven years isn't a lot of time, but listen, I'm a stickler for specifics. So let's just go through how the Blazers defended pick and rolls. In the first quarter, the Jazz ran 15 pick and rolls or dribble handoffs. The Blazers dropped on 14 of them. and did not show, and I'm using the word show to mean the big man coming to the, uh, to the height of the screen and, sh- and like hedging, sh- like a soft hedge to uh, deter the ball handler and then recover. They did not show on a single pick and roll in the first quarter. There was one switch. It was when Melo came in the game and there was a, like a 3-4 screen on the wing and Melo decided to switch it. Melo is the most switch-happy player on the Blazers. It is easier to switch than fight over screens. Switching can be valuable, but it also can be a way to maybe not work as hard on defense. But again, in the first quarter, the Blazers dropped on nearly every single screen, and part of that is because I think Rudy Gobert is a non-shooter, and they wanted to treat him as such by clogging up the paint. But they did do some things that were new. They did help to the nail early on a couple. Uh, the first three pick and rolls they dropped on all of them. They gave up a a floater, a missed wide open pull up jumper from uh, Donovan Mitchell, and then Conley hit a nice little kind of like pivoting uh, floater in the lane. Then they started doing something a little bit different, which is what I would call helping to the nail. And I don't want to get two X's and os for you in here, but basically what the, the nail is the point in the middle of the court. It's, it's a literal nail in the, uh, in, at the middle of the free throw line. And on pick and rolls, the Blazers, something that didn't do as much in past seasons, were helping all the way to the nail. So kind of loading up to where the screen was with the off-ball defenders. That is new. That is the old concept of drop with these new concepts that they're trying to install. But like I said, the first quarter, all drop coverage. Second quarter, pretty much all drop coverage, too. There were 16 dribble handoffs or pick and rolls that the Jazz ran in the second quarter. I charted 13 of them where the Blazers dropped. A couple of them with weak side stunts, and he's helping to the nail. So some of the new concepts installed, but still heavily drop coverage with three separate instances where where they really showed. One, coming out of a timeout. Very specifically, I think this is Terry Stotts doing some coaching. They kind of came out of a timeout. Cantor showed really high on a pick and roll and then sprinted to recover back on Rudy Gobert. Uh, Gobert missed the layup and then got his own rebound and scored. So it was like the first act of defense was effective, but the entire act was a failure. So again, that's almost exclusively drop coverage again. Nurk showed on one, uh, or Nurk showed on two, Cantor showed on one of these, uh, on, on one of these screen actions. In the third quarter, this is where an adjustment happened. I know that a lot of fans watch these games and say Terry Stotts never adjusts. I think Terry Stotz did adjust, and I think the team still sucked. And the I'm not absolving Terry of blame. Um you your team comes out looking like the way they've looked in preseason and the regular season. The coaching staff deserves a bunch of blame. But uh the blame but the blame should be clear. He adjusted every and it didn't work. It wasn't that he didn't adjust. It was that it, that neither of the thing he started doing or the thing he moved to were effective in this game. In the third quarter, they uh, Blazers switched the very first screen action and then showed on back-to-back screens. The first three screen actions of the th- third quarter, this is right out of halftime. This is a sign that there was a coaching adjustment and discussion about how they wanted to treat ball screens after giving up a kajillion points in the first half. So they did indeed adjust. Uh, there was kind of like a bad switch on the first ball screen and, and they gave up a, a three from the wing. It it was off, but it was kind of just it was poor communication on who was taking what. That wasn't necessarily like a show or drop decision. I think that was just uh, two two little guys coming together and not figuring out who was going to stay where. They showed in the next sc- two screen actions. These were more traditional screen actions, according to my chart here. They missed. Jazz missed a really good look at a corner three on the first one after swinging the ball two passes out of the show. This is the problem with the Blazers trying to show and recover is that they might not just be fast enough and long enough on the backside to uh, to, to really hound people, particularly a team as as good as offense offensively as the Jazz are. And then in the second one, they uh, the Blazers help. They showed on the screen, pulled in the help a little bit, and one pass away, Mike Conley nails a wing three. They continued with more showing during that third quarter, but they still stuck with the drop. I think a lot of it was how the Blazers wanted to play dribble handoffs versus just like straight up pick and rolls. It seemed like they were going to drop on all handoffs, but uh, there were some different rules on on pick and rolls. I didn't get to ask Terry about this. This is the difference in in in-person and Zoom conferences. It's hard to have little chats about X's and O's and things like that. But all in all, in the third quarter, the Blazers defended 15 dribble handoff or pick and roll actions. They dropped on 10 of them, with some helping to the nail, certainly some of that new and old concepts combined. They switched two of the screens, and they, sh- and they uh, played a show or like a soft hedge on, th- on three of them. Still, majority drop coverage, a couple with mixed in new schemes. Early in the quarter, they were showing, um, I believe they... It was a switch, show, show, and then kind of like a late switch. And by that, I mean they had drop coverage, and then they just decided to switch kind of late in the action. So they were they gave some more varied defenses in that third quarter. It didn't work. The Jazz still carved them up. In the fourth quarter, I only charted until the four-and-a-half-minute mark. That's when C.J. Ellaby and Kelgen Blevins checked in. I'm sure the Blazers still played their defensive principles. It's just it didn't seem valuable to you, dear listener, to chart those minutes. The Blazers defended in before true, true garbage time, although the fourth quarter was totally out of reach. The Blazers defended nine dribble handoffs or pick and rolls. They dropped on five and they showed on four. You could tell that in that at the end of the fourth quarter, they were really, they were, even on uh, a couple uh, that I charted here as drops, they were a step or two higher up. Cantor was a step or two higher up than he had been early in the game. So we saw more varied pick-and-roll coverages or more varied screen action coverages there with uh, Mellow showing and recovering late in the game, plus some show-and-recover actions in the middle of the floor where I think they had been mostly trying to avoid on those just straight-up s- central high pick-and-rolls uh, showing because then you've got a Everyone has to rotate and the floor is spread and it just becomes a, a long way for folks to recover. What I didn't drag you through during this first... Uh, during this segment where I charted every screen action the Jazz ran in the game one in the Blazers season openers, how they scored. And the answer is the, Blazers, the Jazz scored in every single way. They scored on threes off one pass. They scored in dribble pull-up threes. Hello, Joe Ingles. They scored on Rudy Gobert rolling to the rim late in the game after carving up the Blazers with jumpers. The Jazz got it how they wanted it. Mid-range, one pass, two pass, swing, swing, whatever they wanted, they carved up the Blazers' defense. But what I wanted to do, what I wanted to chart here is when someone who's mad at the Blazers the way they played and said, they never adjusted, they never did anything. The Blazers tried a bunch of different shit and none of it worked. They dropped and helped. They just played their straight-up traditional drop coverage. They showed to the ball and tried to recover. They trapped One sort of half screen, but the action kind of got blown up so we didn't see a full trap. They're not going to do that much, but they tried just a little bit of everything and none of it worked. This was not a case of just square peg round hole for 48 minutes. This was a whole bunch of different attempts and none of them worked. I charted 54 screen or dribble handoff scenarios. I'm not going to do this for every game, but the conversation has been so heavily about how the Blazers are going to change up their defense, the new defensive schemes, and what that's going to look like. I wanted to give you a real understanding of what that was. We saw a mix of everything from the Blazers. None of it was good. I think this is what we're going to see moving forward is that they're going to play probably mostly with this sort of drop with a little bit more active weak side defense. That is what I expect the Blazers to do moving forward because neither Nurk or Cantor is good showing way far away from the rim. Maybe they move in that direction because that's kind of the way the league is going. But I think that what I think that the sort of. The very defensive schemes the Blazers tried against the Jazz is what they'll try against a bunch of teams, showing teams different looks. They just have to be better at it. Some of it is personnel, some of it is just connectedness. There was there was a couple where Nurk was out of position. There was a there was a play where CJ McCollum was just really slow on backside rotations. There was a couple where uh, the Jazz just hunted Carmelo and Annis Cantor, and those two guarding a pick and roll is not not a, a great look. It's always going to be a struggle for the mellow cantor pick and roll two man game. But this was not a case of lack of adjustments or lack of trying new things. This was just a case of the team being bad. Sometimes players play bad. Sometimes the coaches coach poorly. This was probably a case of both happening. Let's share the blame. All right, in the second segment, I want to come back and talk about some non-defensive things I noticed in game one. Like I mentioned, Dame going scoreless in the first half and what that means, and some other observations from what I saw. We're one game into the Blazers' season. There's still a bunch to talk about. But before we get to that second segment, I want to remind you all that BetOnline.ag is the official betting partner of the Locked On Podcast Network and the official betting partner of Locked On Blazers. There's only one place that has you covered, And there's only one place we trust. That's betonline.ag. So sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code LOCKEDON for your 50% off welcome bonus. You want to bet on the Blazers? The Blazers are going to get good odds right now on the Blazers winning the championship on Dame's MVP campaign after a rough opening night or Carmelo Anthony who didn't look great but is still going to get a lot of shots up as a six man you want to bet on him winning some hardware at the end of the year go to betonline.ag don't sit on the sidelines anymore get in on that action and don't to forget to use the promo code On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit BetOnline your online sportsbook experts all Shout out to Dre Slaps, who makes the music for this show. You can find a link to all of Dre's work in the episode description for this episode. Appreciate you, Dre, and to everyone listening, make sure you're supporting local music. Dre's Portland's own. Alright, in the first segment, we talked about the Blazers' defense. I charted 54 pick-and-roll plays for y'all. Talked about all the different ways the Blazers tried to defend it, none of them were good. I have a couple stray thoughts here about the Blazers' um, non-defensive, non-pick-and-roll action, non-screen action stuff, uh, stray thoughts about the Blazers' first game. Let me just be upfront here. I'm not concerned about Damian Lillard's offense. Um, scoreless in the first half, nine points for the game, truly bizarre night from Dame. He typically, like the way he typically approaches um, games is that in the first quarter he won't go off because... Uh, or and he won't look for his offense aggressively necessarily because he knows you know he's going to have this ball in his hands for a lot of the game so if he needs to get a shot up he can like he can dictate whether when he wants to get into a rhythm so he wants to get other guys into a rhythm and i think he sort of got caught trying to do that And then just never, never got going. And I also think the Jazz defended him pretty well. And I think he just missed some makeable looks. Um, I didn't go back and watch every single one of his field goals in my rewatch of the game. I was only watching Blazers defensive possessions. But he, just watching the game in real time, I don't feel like this was a case of the Jazz locking him up. As more of just, he was trying to feel out the game early, and then he just couldn't he just never got he never found that rhythm particularly from the outside he just never he never hit any he never hit those shots to kind of break open uh break open the offense and start and break open the jazz defense and start sort of supercharging the blazers offense he did a couple times get himself all the way into the paint and find guys opposite like on the opposite wing, gary trent jr a couple times Derek jones jr a couple times i'm not worried about dame's offense i think he's gonna I think he's gonna average close to thirty a game. This is gonna be a weird anomaly. He's this is not the year that he that he's starts averaging sixteen a game and like um you know, falls off the map. He's I expect him to be more aggressive in game two. I expect him to be um a lethal scorer. I still think he's um you know, he's I think he's the best point guard in the NBA, with all due respect to Steph Curry. So um l let's get that out of the way. I am not concerned about Damian Lord's offense. I am concerned about some other guys' offense though. Robert Covington didn't look like he knew where he was going to get shots in the half court. Um, He only attempted, uh, well, he attempted one two-point field goal and drew a foul, but He mostly was just kind of hanging out around the arc. Um, He just never seemed to like truly, truly get involved. And I think part of that is because the Blazers wanted to run more and they wanted to get Covington and Derrick Jones Jr. um, some easy buckets in transition, but they could not stop the Jazz from scoring. And so they never got a chance to run. Uh, The Blazers also couldn't rebound. I think that is a big concern. A lot of people have just pointed to the raw rebound numbers, but I'm going to remind you that the Blazers shot 40% from the field. 37 of 92, that's right, it's a regular season, I'm reading the box score. 40% from the field. There were a whole bunch of bricks available for the Jazz to grab. So I'm going to ignore the Jazz defensive rebounds. Those are not that, that is not a meaningful number to me. The meaningful number to me is 26.1. That is the percentage of offensive rebounds the Jazz grabbed. They grabbed over a quarter of their misses. That is a problem. The Blazers were bad on defense in the first action and then allowed the team to rebound more than a quarter of their misses, that is an issue. That, to me, is a problem. I'm much more worried about the def- The Blazers finishing possessions. They were a bad defensive rebounding team last year. They were a really bad defensive rebounding team in night one. The raw defensive numbers don't tell the story, but that offensive rebound percentage is frightening. You will not win games, allowing defenses, allowing opponents to grab a quarter of their own misses. It's Rudy Gobert dominated this game. He was just so much better than Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, Nurk looked, he did not look good again in this one. Um, by the third quarter, he was kind of, again, just, um, he looked He looked a little gassed, and he was making some plays that tired people do with some bad turnovers, with some bad fouls, with being kind of a step out of position. Uh, not a, another bad Nurk game. So not concerned about Dame, a little bit concerned about where the Blazers how the Blazers can rebound and actually get out in transition, you know, um, it's it, you don't have to force turnovers to um, to run, but you do need to get clean defensive rebounds and turn and go, and the Blazers didn't really do that enough. Um, Derek Jones Jr. looked fine. Uh, the starting lineup really got cooked in the third quarter, but they were okay in the first quarter, so I'm not it's too small of a sample size for me to worry about that group. Um, but they the numbers behind that five man unit. Don't look good y'all. Um, I am a little concerned about the second unit. I, the mellow canter pairing looks troublesome on, um, on defense. Like that group just couldn't guard anyone. Um, that, that duo couldn't guard any of the jazz two man game. Uh, the, that off the offense sputtered again there too. Um, Anthony Simons did not play in this one, sat out with a hamstring injury. So we didn't get to sort of like who's gonna play back a point guard, uh CJ or Ant. It was CJ, but I also still think it would have been CJ even if Ant was healthy. Mello started ice cold in this game. He ended up uh with you know 15 and 4. His uh his plus-minus wasn't that bad compared to the rest of the team. But if you watch the game, his offense in that first half really bogged this team down. Um, this was a bad Gary game. Uh Rodney Hood still just doesn't look totally healthy and ready. I just the second unit right now is is I thought this was going to be eventually a strength of the Blazers, and I think it will be, but um in game one it was a problem. Ennis Cantor, classic Ennis Cantor game. F- 14 points, 8 rebounds, 7 of 7. Just gets buckets, but looked bad on defense. Looked looked a little bit outmatched um, against the Jazz spread pick and roll. Jazz are good, but my thing is like W- waving off the opponent as, Hey, the Blazers played a good team does not do this team justice. They want to be a good team. That means they got to be good teams. They got a chance to do that Saturday. They play the Houston Rockets. Um, it'll be the Rockets first game of the season after their opening night game was canceled due to COVID-19 concerns. The Rockets didn't have eight players who were out of protocol and able to play. So they will start their season, presumably with James Harden against the Blazers on Saturday. Should be a really good test. Um, Typically, the Blazers have matched up well with Harden, even if he's had big games. They've kind of um, handled this team well, so it'll be. I'm really looking for what that what that will uh, if the Blazers can bounce back. I, the wins losses, I don't know. You know if if that is as important. Eventually, you got to win some games, but for me, game two is more just like do they look more competent? You know if they if they win a close if they lose a close game, I'm not going to freak out if they get blown off the floor. Oh, the show we post on Monday in this space might be a little messy. All right, enough talking about the game. There was one game, and I've done twenty-five minutes on it nearly. Let's talk about a crazy rumor. Come back in the third segment. I got a crazy rumor for y'all. Giannis Antetokounmpo wanted to come to the Blazers. Maybe, sort of, kind of. Talk about that to close out the show. pass first point guard still Mike Richmond you're still listening to locked on blazers you like hoops well you're gonna love locked on women's basketball it's the only daily podcast covering the world of women's hoops can join all-star cast of hosts each day of the week for a comprehensive look at the world of the WNBA women's college basketball international competition that you simply cannot find anywhere else so subscribe to Locked On Women's Basketball on your favorite podcast provider. All right, so we talked Blazers defense, I charted all the pick and rolls. We talked other concerns about sort of where the Blazers are at. It is a, I want to I want to say this cuz I think I've been a little negative um just because the game was bad and I sort of naturally live in in pessimism more more easily. I'm I still think this team has a chance to be fine. It's just, and it's and it's one game. Obvious ca- ca- caveat, but like they ha- they just haven't looked good yet. Um, I think they have a chance to look good. I think they have a chance to figure it out. I think this is um, the struggles in December won't won't dictate how good they are at the end of January and February. But um, right now, this team just this team doesn't look good, and the supposed strength, which was Damian Lode in the offense, just didn't look good. So I'm not worried, I'm not panicking, I'm just trying to bring you the real, I'm trying to be, um, Longtime listeners have, have maybe complained that I'm not a fan of this team, but I, I don't think you need someone waving the pom-poms, um, you know, the, there, are, there are other places you can find that. I want to give you a true, honest look from what I've seen from this team and try to help you understand what's going on with the team you love. But I'm not panicking yet. I don't think this team stinks. Um, I think they stink right now. I think they stunk yesterday night, Wednesday night. But I'm f- right now. You're, I'm not worried because there's 71 games left, and I'm not worried because I think talent wins out, and they can figure it out a little bit. Um, it's just you would like to have seen some positives. Plenty of time to uh, to show some positives, however. But let's move on. That's enough. I I tried to I tried to only do two segments on the game and here I am opening the third segment still talking about the season, the Blazers opener. It um basketball's back and I'm excited about it. I can't even I can't stop yammering. But there was a report this week happened to believe Wednesday morning that the bl- linking Giannis Antetokounmpo, the two-time MVP, back-to-back MVP, back-to-back reigning MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks to the Portland Trailblazers. And we need to talk about it because, one, it's just an incredible headline. <laughs> so, um, so I don't want to ignore it, but I, I'm i going to keep it real with y'all when as we discuss this. Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports on his podcast, Posting Up with Chris Haynes. Uh, it's about five minutes into the podcast if you want to check it out. Um, it's, av- I believe, available wherever you get podcasts. But he basically says, or he doesn't basically says, he reports, and I'm paraphrasing here, that... Um, Damian Lillard was going to work out with Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is significant because Giannis famously doesn't like to work out with any of his peers. He's he's declined working out with KD and LeBron in the past. The only player he's ever worked out with, who's like kind of a star in his level, is Kobe Bryant, but that was after Kobe retired. So him and Dame had kind of agreed to work out, um, and this is a big, this is just a significant deal because Giannis doesn't do that, and and this was before uh, Giannis had made a decision to sign a Supermax five-year deal to stay with the Milwaukee Bucks, was that Dame was kind of testing the waters for if if Giannis wasn't going to return to the Milwaukee Bucks, would he be interested in, in joining the, the Trailblazers? Dame kind of confirmed most of the details of the story to Trailblazers digital reporter Casey Holdall. Uh, I'm not it was just tweets that Casey sent out. So I'm not exactly sure the context of this um, conversation, but basically Dame said they had planned to work out in December, but then when they were assuming the season was going to start in January, then the season got moved up and the plans got scrapped. Is this a big deal? That's what you're asking, right? Kind of like it's, it, it's a, it's a thing that happened. Dame linking up with a superstar in the offseason to get some work in and um, potentially discuss, a, you know, a guy heading into a contract year and maybe um, frustrated in a small market and wanting a change of scenery. Sure, that, that's like those are undeniable facts. I just kind of think there's nothing here. Like, I, I'm not refuting the reporting. Haynes gets, like, Haynes is a newsbreaker. Haynes knows Dame really well. Dame, Haynes breaks a bunch of Dame news. He's um, th- he's as connected to Damian Lode as anyone in the league. So I, I'm not saying that any of this is um untrue by any means. I, bu- I believe all of it. I just don't think there's a lot there. Like, the story is they were going to work out but didn't, and... If the situation was totally different, Giannis Antetokounmpo would have considered the Blazers as a destination. But there's a lot of moving parts beyond that, right, y'all? Like, okay, Giannis, let's just like, let's, let's take some of it at face value, right? Giannis says, I'm entering the final year of my contract with you, Milwaukee. I don't want to be here. I want to be traded to the Portland Trail Blazers. They say, okay, cool. We'll see, and they explore trades. And do the Blazers have the best trade package of any team in in the land to acquire Giannis Antetokounmpo? Let's assume they do this before they've traded the two draft picks to um to acquire Robert Covington. Yeah, they have a relatively competitive package, but not certainly not the best in the in the market. Certainly not a young star. Certainly not like a Ben Simmons type or whatever it was. Uh, it's. You know, is CJ McCollum, Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., and Zach Collins and a bunch of draft picks enough? I, I don't know. When you're under contract, the team gets to decide where you get traded. Obviously, you have some leverage and they'll hook you up if you're um, acting in good faith. And, and we've seen plenty of NBA guys get traded where they want to go. But it's mostly when that other team gives them a whole bounty of stuff. Now, do I think the Blazers would have given them a whole bounty of stuff to get acquire a player as good as Giannis Ndokounmpo? Yes, they would have moved heaven and earth. I don't think that's under the deba- under up for debate, but the Blazers would have moved heaven and earth, and so would have twenty eight other teams. So I just I just don't think there's a lot there. Like I think it's I think it's definitely true and 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 factual that that Damon Giannis probably discussed like, hey, if if you're not happy in Milwaukee, if, you know, let's talk about how you could fit with us. Like I think that's true, and I think. It seems true that Giannis maybe was open to hearing the discussion. But I just don't, like... There's just a reality beyond that. Like, he never requested a trade. They never actually worked out. He ended up signing a five-year Supermax to remain in Milwaukee. Like, the actual facts of life don't necessarily line up with, uh, you know, Blazers were the secret team in the hunt for the Bucks. Like, I just... I think all of it's true but I also don't think that it's like this I don't think it was that close I think it was more like Damian Lillard has relationship with very good player and they agreed that it would be fun to play together it means it could come up again in the future if after five years or you know at the end nearing the end of this contract if Giannis wants out um, it it's I think it's good that Damian Lillard has relationships and is is doing some semi-recruiting of other stars. That's how you, um, at some point, it's how you have to get good in the league. It's just the the fact of how the NBA works. You kind of need two top ten players to team up to win a championship. So yeah, I think again, I would. Uh, I am not saying that this that there's not that this report is fake by any means. I believe it to be 100% factually true. I just think that it kind of is it's almost operating outside of reality. It's operating in like a space that doesn't exist. If this uh, if these three other things happen, then this third thing could happen or this fourth thing could happen. Uh, I it's it is really interesting and it is noteworthy and and and, and it's why I'm talking about it right now. It's why I'm spending 10 minutes on it right now. But it's just, it's kind of outside of what actually exists in the world. So I, I kind of see it as a nothing burger. A delicious, well-dressed, well-prepared nothing burger. But th- to me, there's not a lot there. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not stopping you from getting excited about this. I'm not stopping you from looking ahead to whatever... 2024 20, and saying well what if what if Dame will be 33 Giannis only 30 could it happen I'm not stopping you from doing that I'm just saying like the facts of the situation is that Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't demand a trade he didn't leave Milwaukee he didn't sign a short-term deal he didn't um, he didn't even allow he didn't even really get them to start exploring trades reportedly the, the Bucks were if Giannis had said he'd wanted out. They were going to trade him. That's was uh, reported in the Athletic by Sam Amick. Um, so certainly, there's some smoke to this, or there's some fire to the smoke. But um, the we, we know we have we know how this the story ended. So like the reporting in hindsight maybe doesn't. Um, I don't give a lot of credence to like, hey, this could have happened because um, we saw how it went down and the dude remained loyal to his team. Dame's really loyal to the Blazers. Um, boy, howdy, Giannis and Dame would be a really good pairing. But I think that's that's as far as I'm going to go right now. Is to say, yes, those two together, that's a championship quality duo. That team competes for a championship every single year. They're together over the next handful of seasons, no doubt about it. All right, like I said, the Blazers have another game. We're going to get to talk about another game. You could, if you listen to this podcast, you can tell I'm hyped for the NBA being back. I'm going to watch a whole bunch of basketball on Christmas Day and over the weekend. Talk to you on Monday about what the Blazers did in that game against the Houston Rockets. We've got uh, a fun guest next week. Haven't nailed it down yet, so I'm not going to fully tease it out, but on Monday, I'll tease that out to you once I confirm. We're doing Mailbag Monday next week. Get your questions in at Rich on Twitter or lockedonblazerspod@gmail.com at gmail.com if you want to ask a question for our weekly Mailbag show. Tell your friends about this podcast. The season is here. It's time to it's time to get excited. Even if the game one wasn't fun, there's, a, there's 71 more. So help, help me grow this community. Tell your friends about Locked On Blazers. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.